With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. He's my brother, Mike. He's my brother, Matt. And we are the Brothers of Discussion, hosting Red Wings Rant, where tirades and impassioned pleas about your Detroit Red Wings finally have a hope. In a season mired in tragedy and despair, we are here to be your audible Earl Grey, to bring joy, placidity, and perspective to one of the roughest eras of Red Wing history. Ah! We honor the past, find the positives in the present, I swear they're there, and paint the picture of what's to come in the Winged Wheels future. Paul Woods here on the radio broadcast of your Detroit Red Wings, and I'm going to play games like, who's that? Who's that Come on. Where Matt has to try and guess quotes pulled right out of context. For Jeff Blashaw, and we got to figure out who that Red Wing is. <laughs> Every episode, we put ourselves in the legendary shoes of Steve Iserman and play Be the GM, finding ways to ice a competitive team while accumulating assets for the franchise's future. We also shoot the breeze. Some of the great local and national voices in Red Wings hockey, including Ken Kell and Keith Gave and Greg Wyshynski and Ryan Lambert. Check us out every Monday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. And check us out live every Wednesday and Sunday for Red Wings reactions and live conversations with you on our YouTube channel, The Brothers of Discussion. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. You can't lose with this type of bet, baby. That's right. All it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer, am I right? I mean, come on, guys. I mean, this is, this is, you'd have to be stupid not to take this type of deal. This slam dunk of an offer won't be around forever, so head to the App Store now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and get in on all of the action. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so, so much more. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion freaking dollars to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big damn paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use our promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. Again, the promo code is THPN. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at $100 to one odds on any basketball team to hit one three-point shot. Only 
at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. Welcome to New York. This is is the Devil State State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! Devils fans, it is once again your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place, as always, to get the most up-to-date news and topics going on about your New Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day whenever and whatever time you're listening to this. Thank you guys, as always, for taking some time to check this episode out. We all greatly, greatly appreciate it. Folks, this is going to be another tough episode to do because, obviously, we only had one game from the last episode to this one, which was the Tuesday's loss at home to the New York Islanders. And I have a lot to say about that. And we're also going to be talking about some of the things that happened today at practice. I'm recording this on Wednesday, March 3rd. And also, by the way, this is the first episode or basically the second episode now of the month of March. And it's really crazy to think about a year ago in 2020, we were getting close to what, what, what eventually was the last game of last season, which was March 10th versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we're going to talk about we're going to talk about also some things that Lindy Ruff did at practice today as the team gets ready for its Thursday's game the first of back-to-back games at home against the Hudson River rival the New York Rangers so we have a bunch to get to as we always do and let's not waste any more time and drop the puck so going into Tuesday night's game obviously the Devils for many reasons have been struggling you know the losers of five of their last six they've lost two in a row and they're looking to try to win their first game of this five game homestand so already on this homestand things have not gone well but they're taking on an islanders team that the devils have played pretty well against through the first two games yeah the first one at the coliseum the devils were pretty much outplayed for the most part but then if you remember The second time they played them, they had much more success. They ended up winning. Scott Wedgwood got a shutout. And interestingly enough, going into this game, it was the last time the Devils won a game at home. So clearly the Devils were looking to try to continue with their success. And, you know, basically in the tri-state area, they they have so far had a pretty good start against the combination of 
the Rangers and the Islanders. And what was so special about this game were two big reasons. Number one, this was obviously the first game with fans. It was the first time in 357 days that Devils fans were allowed to be in person to watch this team. It was a sellout of 1,800 fans, a little bit less than almost 11% capacity. And I just want to say right up front, and a bunch of people said this who were actually at the game, that it really didn't make a lot of sense for the Devils to still have crowd noise. Like, it really made it kind of ridiculous. I don't know what it would have sounded like if we just heard the regular crowd noise. Maybe they felt like because it was only 1,800 fans that it wasn't gonna it wasn't going to sound as authentic, but they really should have removed it altogether. At this point, now the teams are allowed to have fans. You got to bring back that form of normalcy and just allow the authentic crowd noise. But obviously, that was something that the Devils, I'm sure, learned from, and hopefully throughout the rest of the season, they don't do that. This was also, like I said before, this was the last time that this was the first time since the Devils had fans since the March 10th loss to the Penguins. And little did we know that was going to be the last game of the regular season that year because the, the pandemic came right after that. But the other thing that was really special about this game is it was the first time the Devils were going to be wearing their reverse retro uniforms. And we've talked about them several times. If you listen to a lot of the main hockey people and hockey fans in this whole NHL hockey community, the Devils have been considered to have one of the more favorable reverse retro jerseys. I mean, it's not something outrageous like we've seen with some other teams. And, you know, it basically it's just reversing the uniforms that we would wear on St. Patrick's Day or when we wore them in the stadium series. And basically the uniforms that we wore back in the 80s when we first came to New Jersey from Colorado. So obviously this was an exciting thing. And to be honest with you, the Devils looked absolutely phenomenal in these uniforms. I know some people would be hesitant. Hell, I even saw some Islander fans on Twitter giving a lot of crap. And I had to, you know, give my two cents and show them what the reverse retro for the Islanders is, which is, I mean, to be honest with you, it's one of the most bland ones. They didn't really do very much. They changed the, the, the type of blue and orange a little bit. But to me, there just wasn't a whole lot of effort put into it. Not saying that the Devils also didn't put a lot of effort into it. I mean, they, like I said, they just reversed the colors of the uniform that we had. And also there was obviously some, some worry because, as we all know, the Devils a couple of years ago brought in the Heritage uniforms. And the Devils have still not won a game in the Heritage uniforms. But I looked at it as this. Reverse retro, we're going to reverse this, the results of these games, which I was basically confident enough to say that we were going to win games while wearing these reverse retro uniforms. And the other big news was, well, not really big news, but the other news that was interesting was that there really wasn't any changes with regards to the lineup, except the fact that Aaron Dell was going to be making just his second start since he came to the New Jersey Devils. And the thing that I would say that I actually was in a big agreement with my good friend, Sean Harrington from Ice NJD, um, basically, I just have felt like that the Devils are relying on Mackenzie Blackwood way too much and that they need to give him a balanced amount of workload as well as rest. And even though he was the backup last night, I would have preferred that they did it. They did what they did when Dell had his first game as a devil, where they just made Scott Wedgwood the backup and just prevent, even if 
Dell has a bad game and he gives up four, five, six goals. You know, you just go to Scott Wedgwood. You don't force Blackwood to come into a game where it's most likely impossible for the Devils to come back. But I'm glad that at least the Devils gave him an opportunity, Aaron Dell, to play, even though I would have liked to have seen him play in the second of the back-to-backs against Washington. I agree with Sean on that 100%. But nonetheless, Aaron Dell getting his just his second start of the season for the Devils and his first time playing in front of the Devils fans. I mean, obviously, we've been wa- we watched them play against Washington la- uh, a week and change ago uh, on TV, but this was the first time in person a lot of fans could be there. Now, before I get into the game, I just want to say a couple of things about, you know, my thoughts on fans being allowed back in the arena. Number one, I'm really happy for a lot of Devils fans and just sports fans in general that we are getting an opportunity to come back and see these teams in person and kind of just have that experience once again, because it's certainly been a long time for many different fans. Some fans have been able to get to see their team earlier than us. And, you know, some teams haven't even been given the opportunity to put out fans. So, I mean, everybody's kind of in different situations depending on where they're from. But I still don't think it's necessarily 100% the right decision. And the reason I say that is because we also have new variants coming out of the COVID-19 virus. And that's where you get nervous because once variants start to make things more difficult than where they already were, it just puts more pressure on everyone to continue to do what we've been doing. And I know how difficult it's been. I know how difficult it is to constantly deal with these things. I get it. I mean, I'm dealing with my own personal issues with just this whole situation in general. There's no question about it. But I had two people, one Devil fan and one very close Islander fan, actually it was Kim Moisa, who has been on the podcast. She actually went to the Devils game from Long Island, uh, so she got a chance to finally see her team play in person. Uh, both of these two people asked me on the same day when tickets were first made available for Devils fans to you know, purchase to, for this game and for other games the rest of the season. They asked me right away, are you going? Like, what game are you going to go to? And I told them that, I don't think I'm going to end up going to a game this season unless things dramatically improve. And that doesn't mean dramatically improve from how the Devils are operating. It's because of these reasons. Number one, as much as I you know, love you guys and I thank you guys so much for your support, most of you I don't really know personally and I don't know where you've been on a day-to-day basis. So I can't really trust other fans that they have been doing the right thing and they've been keeping themselves and their loved ones safe. Like they're, you know, it's not a guarantee that everybody has been 100% doing what they need to do. And I'll be the first one to say that I personally have not always done it 100%. And that just comes from fatigue and being completely frustrated and sometimes taking things for granted, even though I shouldn't. And that's a completely bad mistake on my part. And I apologize. But luckily, you know, knock on wood, it hasn't come back to bite me. And I've continued to be as safe as possible around. The other thing is this, I spend a considerable amount of time around my family. And I have family members that are of high risk and should be hopefully getting their first dosage dosage of the vaccine in the next couple of weeks. But because they're high risk, I can't 
go to places like this. And then even if I'm doing what I need to do, come home, take a shower, you know, clean my clothes and just, you know, take all the precautions I, I can take because of the new variants and how much stronger it can be. There's still a very good possibility that I could spread the virus without realizing it to my family members. So this is something that I really have been nervous about doing. And I do try to limit as much as possible to where I go and who I see. Most of the time when I'm out, I'm either grocery shopping or I'm taking walks. I will see my my friends, you know, every week, but we, we do a bonfire. We practice social distancing. You know, we're trying our best to have some form of, you know, a social life, even in this very difficult situation at the moment. But as far as going to sporting events, I have come to realize in many ways that a lot of it is just the luxury. And right now, financially also, because that's a big thing, it's just not doable for me. I'm not comfortable spending 60 plus dollars, even for just one ticket for myself. And then you add into the fact that I, if I decide to drive, I have to pay for parking. Or if I take the train and you know come in from Newark, I, and it's, it's still going to cost me a bunch. And then from the time I get out of my house to the time I'm at the arena and then coming back, the only other time I'm going to be able to take off my mask and breathe like regular air is when I come back home from the game. Now, obviously, I could take it off every now and then to, you know, eat something or drink something, but it's not a it's not a thing long term that I can do. So with all of that being said, it's not that I don't trust the New Jersey Devils themselves. I believe that they're doing everything they possibly can to make sure that these fans are safe. And I hope that everybody who was at that game was as safe as possible and enjoyed the game, even if you were a fan of the Devils and you didn't enjoy the performance as well. But I, I hope that just being there was good. But for me personally, and maybe I'm speaking for a lot of people, but I'm certainly speaking for myself, for the foreseeable future, I'm still not going to be going to any sporting events whatsoever. I think that most likely the, you know, if you were to ask me, when do I think, you know, what, what type of date are we looking at? I would probably say it's going to be one of the two things. Number one is that once the, my, my other family members get vaccinated and everything is a little bit more safe. And the other is simply that I would kind of rather just wait till we get almost full capacity again. Because I think once we get to that point, you could start to feel like, okay, we're getting there. And I think also when we start to remove the mask mandates and and we, we do it in a proper and healthy way, not, you know, jumping the gun and just doing it for the sake of doing it. So all in all, I'm going to continue to support the team like I have been this entire year and my entire life. I'm just not going to be a game. So unfortunate because I would love to meet a lot of the people that you guys listen to this podcast and people who follow me on Twitter. I would love to, you know, get to know you guys on a more personal level. But it's probably going to have to wait till either maybe late in the season if we're lucky or next season more likely. So that's just kind of my opinion on the whole situation, whether you agree or disagree with anything that I said. You know, it's OK. I completely get your opinion and respect it 100 percent. But for me, as of right now, it's safer for me and my family that I don't go to games right now. I'll continue to watch them at home and continue to evaluate them from my television screen. But I will I will be back at Devil's Game sooner rather than later, Devil's fans. Just don't worry about that. I'll be there at some point. It's it's just going to take some time. But let's go. Let's now shift from that and let's shift to the actual 
game. And let's start in the first period. Here's the thing, like my whole evaluation of the first period, because there wasn't that much going on. It was somewhat of a boring first period. And what I mean by boring is this. Neither team, the Devils nor the Islanders, were really, really trying to dictate the pace of this game. Neither team came out like not necessarily aggressive, but they didn't come out and try to make a statement. They kind of just tried to feel each other out. I thought both teams' defensive systems were really, really good, especially through the first two periods. They just locked it down. They weren't allowing a lot of really, you know, grade A opportunities. But when chances did come, both teams did, you know, try to take advantage of them. It's just really good goaltending by both Arendelle and Islanders goaltender Semyon Varlamov. But yeah, it was it was a pretty boring first period. And the closest chance, I would say, and I know that there was probably some other ones, but the closest chance, in my opinion, that either team had had to score in that first period was about midway through that first period when Ryan Pulak had the puck on the right side near the devil's bench. And he had a lot of room. He kind of slowly skated up and took a slap shot that it beat Aaron Dell over his right shoulder, but hit the top crossbar and went out of play. And that was really the closest chance. And I know that Matthew Barzell had a good shot in the, uh, in the slot, but you know, I would say that for Pulak, it was either going to be off the post and out or off the post and into the net. And unfortunately for him, it hit off the post and out. The Devils had a couple of good opportunities as well. Don't get me wrong. But that Pulak shot was the closest that either team had to scoring in the first period. The other thing that was actually a positive was the fact that the penalty kill has continued to improve somewhat over the last couple of games. And it's certainly improved in this game. The Islanders did have a power play in that first period, but the Devils were able to kill it off. And they didn't kill it off by just, you know, not having the Islanders score, even though they gave up a ton of shots. They actually were able to get in front of some passes and clear the puck a couple times. So that was really a positive thing to see. So we're starting to see them improve in that area. And we know how dreadful the Devils' penalty kill has been since the season began. But for them to start actually having some success is a good thing. And I understand the Islanders are not a big offensive team and they don't have one of the best power plays in the NHL, even though I think theirs is top top 10. For It doesn't matter. For them to still, you know, get on the penalty kill and get a couple of interceptions to clear the puck a couple times and just really frustrate the Islanders and not allowing them to set up anything was still a really good job by them nonetheless. And I hope it continues and we continue to do that. And also if we could take less penalties, that would be great, but sometimes it, it might be too much to ask. But at the end of the first period, it was no score. And again, like I said, I, I wasn't I wasn't upset. I wasn't annoyed by anything. I was pretty pleased, especially defensively. I felt like we were not allowing the Islanders to do a whole lot. We weren't giving them a lot of space. That was really good. Then we shifted to second period, and the Devils just had a light bulb just turn off. They just decided in the second period they were going to come out and throw everything possible at the net. They were going to be ultra aggressive, and I loved it. I loved it from start to finish in those 20 minutes. The Devils were just by far the better team. They dominated that second period. They even had a couple chances on the power play early in that period, including a five-on-three for about 24 seconds. And they ended up with something like six, seven shots that I remember counting. Um, I don't know what the exact number is, but it was about six or seven from what I counted. And that was really good. Even though the Devils didn't score, for them to still be that aggressive and just get really solid shots and get some deflections and everything was great. 
you got to just tip your cap to Simeon Barlow. He's had arguably his best season of his career this year. He leads the NHL in shutouts. He's one of the top goaltenders when it comes to wins. He, he's been a rock for the Islanders, you know, since he got there, and especially this season. And he's going to have games like that. And unfortunately, the Devils just happened to, happened to catch him on one of these really good nights. But again, it was a positive thing to see them continue to be aggressive. And two guys really stood out to me from the start of the game to the end. And that was Mikhail Moltsev and Igor Sharangovich. Moltsev had a couple of good shots and he has some really, really good stick handling ability that if he continues to develop in the upward trend, he's going to become a very, very valuable player. Hell, he could be somebody that we could have as a top six guy in the very near future. And Sharon Govich, he just continues to have this decision in his mind that when he gets close enough to the goaltender, he's going to take a shot. Whether there's a guy in front of him or not, he's just going to fire it. And I love that. And I think that's where, you know, Lindy Ruff has done a really good job. He's just allowed these young kids to just play to not make a mistake in a way. I, I guess that's not the right word I would say. It's a, he's giving them very little fear at all. He's just he's not giving them any repercussions if they take a shot and it goes wide. He's encouraging them to be aggressive. I'm sure Mark Recchi needs to get some credit as well for this, but they're just those two guys are firing the puck at the net and they're creating chances. Moltsev had a goal against the Capitals on Sunday, his second of the season. Sharon Govich has gotten involved uh, a lot more. I think he has three goals now on the season and he has like two or three assists. So he's been a pretty consistent player since the since the season began. And even though he's not putting up the points that he put up in the KHL, he's still in better condition than a lot of the guys on this team because he's been playing basically since, you know, last, last fall. So for him, that's really good. And it's just a good sign because neither one of these guys was, was a part of the John Hines system. So they don't have to worry about dealing with that or having that being reminded in their heads. They are much more about just being allowed to be aggressive offensively and making plays. And I think if you just allow them to continue to do that, They'll improve the rest of this season and they'll continue to improve moving forward. Cause I think those two guys are going to be very, very key components to the Devils becoming a championship contender in the next three, four, five years. I really do believe that. And Molsev in particular, I don't really know what it is necessarily, but he has something about his game that really gets me to think he could be a very special and very, very vital player to this team in the very near future. And I, I, I like I said, I really don't know what it is, but I really like what I'm seeing nonetheless. But the Devils, like I said, just were they just came out like a house on fire. They were cooking with gas. They had a lot of shots and the Islanders just really didn't know how to respond to that. It just pretty much for the majority of that period, they were playing defense. They weren't really getting a lot of opportunities to create something in the offensive zone. And even though it was still no score after the second period, I felt really, really confident after two periods. I said, goal is coming. I can feel it. The way this team is rolling right now, I can feel it. They just got to find a way to get it here. And what was really amazing was when I saw the shot totals in that period, the shot totals were 16 to five in favor of the Devils. So that clearly proved right there that the Devils had absolutely dominated from start to finish that second period. And if you also take into account the shots that didn't hit the net, they probably had over 20, honestly, from the way you, from the way I evaluate. Just go back and watch that second period. It was, it was all devils right from the start. 
And another thing that really impressed me was this was the best game the Devils have had all season when it comes to winning faceoffs. At one point, I think it was something like 17 to three faceoffs in favor of the Devils. I don't know what happened. I don't know if the Islanders just struggle with that in general, but this was a really good sign that we're starting to create more success with face-offs because guess what? If you're on a power play, if you can win that face-off, you're able to set up right away. You're not worried about the, the other team getting the puck and dumping it away and then having to try to reset coming the other way. No, you could set up right away and go after it. And that's what we saw on those two power plays early in that period and, and everything in between. So that's there's a lot of positive after the first 40 minutes. And that's where it ended because in the third period, the Devils just had one of those classic periods where they're dominating, dominating, dominating. The Islanders are holding on for dear life, hoping to God that they can maybe somehow force at least an overtime and try to get a point. And then the Islanders just get one break or two breaks and they put it away. And it started not even two minutes in, 70 seconds in to be exact. John Gabriel Pajot kind of tried to dump the puck out of the zone and he was able to get it to rookie Oliver Warfstrom. And Warfstrom had two options, either dump the puck into the zone and go make a change or take it in and just take a shot. And Warfstrom decided to take the puck into the zone. He had Kulikov in front of him, but Warfstrom had no hesitation. He took the shot. It went top shelf as top shelf as it could possibly be over the stick right shoulder of Aaron Dell and into the net. And that was a heartbreaking type of goal in a way, or it's just a demoralizing goal to put it exact because you were just in a situation where you were dominating, dominating, dominating. They take one shot, their first shot of the period, and it goes into the net. And at first I thought it was a weak goal given up by Aaron Dell. But once I saw it again, two things, one, Dell was kind of screened by Kulikov, who had arguably his worst game defensively as a devil. And I've said before that I've really loved how Kulikov has played. And this game, he just really, really struggled. Um, and that was, a, that was part of the case, as you guys saw. That was one thing. And the other thing was that, look, when you're a goaltender and the guy goes top shelf, nine times out of ten, there isn't much you can really do about it because you might be expecting him to go low he goes high and he scores. Top shelf goals are very difficult a lot of time to stop. That's just a great shot. You got to tip your cap or, you know, lift your stick up for the other player. That was a great shot by Wallstrom, who has really, really done well since he got called up to the Islanders. And I think he's going to be a special player, special goal scorer for the Islanders for years to come. But yeah, it was a very frustrating goal. 70 seconds into the third period, we're down one nothing. You were hoping that the Devils wouldn't fall into the situation where they would start to play defensive hockey. And unfortunately, that's what they did. It seemed like after they gave up that goal, they just they just stopped playing in a way, if that makes sense. They just, they just allowed the Islanders to do whatever they want, and it was very, very frustrating. And then the Islanders were able to score another goal, which proved to be the game winner, as Andy Green – just dumped the puck around the boards. It came right to Anders Lee on the other side of the net. He took a shot that was originally stopped by Aaron Dell. And then Lee just kind of whacked at Dell's pad. The puck hit the post and into the net. And it was 2-0. And I was critical of that because I said Dell should have had that one. That was on him. He should have had it on that second shot. He should have been able to keep it there. 
And the whacking was kind of a weak thing to give up there. So more or less, I want to blame that goal on Aaron Dell. And I don't blame a whole lot of goals on goalies themselves. But in that case, I want to put blame on Aaron Dell. He should have had that one. And that was a weak goal to give up. And that was difficult. And to be honest with you, when I was watching the game, I, I said to myself, and I said it out loud as well, I said, no, I, this game's over. Because the Devils have stopped scoring two, three goals a game. They've fallen back into this defensive, conservative type of play. And when that happens, a one or two goal lead seems like it's insurmountable. And to add insult to injury, former New Jersey Devil and former New Jersey Devil captain Andy Green got the primary assist on that one. As I mentioned, he he passed the puck around the boards and it went in. And the Devils luckily did create a couple of you know, slight good opportunities, but the best one that they had prior to obviously them scoring, even, and I'll bring up that in just a moment, was I think it was about halfway through the period where Zajac had the puck on the far side and he passed it cross ice to Sharon Govich, who got a really good point blank grade A shot right on Varlamov. Varlamov makes the save. Miles Wood is standing there in front of the net. It hits Wood in the chest but he's not able to get it down and knock it in. If he's able to get it down and knock it in, it, boom, it's two to one halfway through the third. You still have a lot of time left to, you know, tie this game and, and force overtime and still get a point. But he whiffed, I, he missed it. And I remember tweeting, I said that that's been vind in vindicative of this entire game, just close, but not close enough. And before the Devils scored, that was the best opportunity that the Devils had. And, here is where I got really pissed off. And I remember making this tweet and a lot of people actually ended up responding to it. The doubles won a power play it was their last power play of the game. And with about 30 seconds left, they gave up one of the many shorthanded opportunities that they've given up this year. And luckily for the devils, they didn't give up a goal on that, but that's when I really lost it. And I remember saying like, how is this continuously happening for several years now? Well, we're having situations where we're dominating, 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 and we don't score. The other team takes one shot, and it goes in. That has happened way too often over the last four, five, six years. And if you don't believe me, just go back to the countless amount of games that we've lost, and I guarantee you, you're going to see certain trends. And it's like it doesn't matter if it's the coaching staff, the players, the organization. It doesn't matter. It just feels like this is happening way, way, way too often. And the other thing is, why do we keep giving up so many shorthanded opportunities on the power play? Like, why is our defense this bad when it comes to just keeping the puck in the offensive zone and going from there? And I remember one Devils fan pointed out that the only thing that Lindy Ruff kept from John Hines's, you know, era as the coach of the Devils was other than Elaine Nazardine, he likes the whole having puck handling defensemen's type of thing. The problem is, is that we don't have solid puck moving defensemen. Damon Severson and Ty Smith are the only two. The other are just not there. They're just not. And having P.K. Subban play the minutes that he plays on the power play when he continues to be a liability is frustrating as hell. Absolutely frustrating. And it needs to stop. It needs to stop now. So for me, I am so sick and tired of seeing the same things over and over again. And it's like, it doesn't matter who's on the ice, who's behind the bench, who's repping the game. It doesn't matter. It happens over and over again. And I just want to know why, what is it? What am I missing? Why are other teams not doing that? 
Why are the Islanders not doing that? Why aren't the Capitals doing that? The Flyers, the Rangers even. Hell, even Buffalo does a better job than we do in many regards. Why does it keep happening here? What am I missing? What is going on? This is why I came to the conclusion before that there are a lot of players that unfortunately got so engraved into their brains, the John Hines system, that they're too far gone. And that maybe, just maybe, some of these guys shouldn't be on the team anymore. And Nikita Gusev is probably the first one to go because he has been virtually irrelevant since the season began. P.K. Subban, the same thing. Kyle Palmieri, to a lesser extent, as much as I love him and I know what he can bring, it just feels like at times he's just so inconsistent and he's not being as aggressive as he should. And even Travis Zajac, as much as I love him. And I know this sounds like I'm completely just, you know, going off the rail and giving up so easily. But at the same time, it's really ridiculous that we have guys that do the same stuff over and over and over again and nothing changes. This is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, knowing the result. That's the issue that I'm having here. And giving up that shorthanded chance was one of the many times I've seen that over the last four or five freaking years. And it needs to stop. I don't care that we have a young team. You can still make those changes. So make them. And if the players are not getting it, then move them. And move them from the standpoint of bring some other young guys up. Give them an opportunity because somebody's going to figure it out. Somebody, it's going to dawn on somebody that, you know what? This way of doing it is not going to win us hockey games. It's not. So in this case, please, for the love of God, knock it off. Stop having situations where we are so bad at puck handling and passing that we give up shorthanded opportunity after shorthanded opportunity. And also put the puck on the net. Stop passing it so damn much. It's ridiculous. We pass it more than any team in the National Hockey League on the power play. Other teams take four or five shots. That should be the average amount of shots you should have every single freaking power play. Instead, we're lucky to get one. And how many times have you said on the TV or at the arena, shoot, 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 and this team doesn't do it? This is a whole identity crisis that we're dealing with here that needs to be changed immediately. And if it's don't, if it doesn't, we're just going to get the same results year in and year out. And the whole trying to rebuild a rebuild is going to be trying to rebuild a rebuild, trying to rebuild a rebuild, if that makes sense at all. I, I don't think it does, but it's just continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting at some point it's going to stop. And I know. We're also playing the same teams over and over again. So they're trying to figure us out. But we can figure out the other teams as well and make corrections as well. And we're not doing that. And we need to do that. And we need to make changes so that we're not so predictable. Just please, somebody, explain to me what I'm missing and why I shouldn't be this upset when the same stuff has happened for four five, six years when John Hines was the head coach and even now when Lindy Ruff's the head coach and we have more talent offensively than we did four or five years ago. We're still doing the same thing. What am I missing? And the Devils were able to at least avoid getting shut out, which would have been the first time this season. They scored 12 seconds to go in the third period when Sharon Govich found Miles Wood for a tap-in. Miles Wood got his team leading seventh goal but the Devils would still lose two to one and have now lost three in a row and six of their last seven. And the other thing 
is that why do we keep scoring meaningless goals? Why do we keep scoring with only seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 seconds left? Like it's, we wait the entire game just to see them score once. And I will say this, as much as I love, as much as I'm sure fans were excited to be back in the building, did anybody who is listening to this podcast that was at that game last night, did any of you feel like you literally just saw the same team that you saw back on March 10th? To me, that's what I saw. So the bottom line for all of this is that the Devils have now had their second three-game losing streak already this season. And six of their last seven, they've lost. And now they're playing the Rangers in, in two games in a row. They got to find a way to get some wins. Because if they continue to lose this way, the players are going to lose confidence. The coaches are going to lose confidence in the players. And management is going to start making some moves that maybe not everybody likes. And I know that we're still a young team. We're the youngest team in the National Hockey League, and we need to be patient. But at the same time, at least try to make yourself look like some other teams in the NHL. All you got to do is just continue. Put the puck on the net, please. Please, we are so bad at the fundamentals. That is our issue. We have to fix that. We have to fix it. We have to go back to the basics. We have to. Because if we don't, like I mentioned before, we're going to be in the same situation year in and year out with no, no signs of improving whatsoever. So that is what I need to see fixed. Please. Try to figure it out. And the last thing that I wanted to share really quick with you guys, well, two things. Number one, I wanted to shout out the Devils and the Islanders for both recognizing the unfortunate situation with Corey Schneider losing his nephew. I mentioned it on the last podcast. They um, they shouted out, well, they didn't shout out. They, they had a very nice message uh, during the game. They honored Corey Schneider and his family and they, they, they put out a good message, and that was great. And thank you guys so much for doing that. I, for one, appreciate it, and I'm sure Schneider and his family really appreciate it. I'm glad that now people in these main areas are starting to recognize that, and, and it's important because, again, to lose your nephew, to lose a son, to lose a friend, whatever the situation is, it's, it's just a gut-wrenching thing. And I'm glad that they were able to, you know, honor Theodore Henstrom. They put out sticks you know, in honor of him, he's a big time Devils fan because of the time that Corey was in New Jersey and a very positive thing, an update on Theodore's light, the GoFundMe page that Corey Schneider and his wife, Jill, uh, started. The donations are at $1,402, so they are about seven and a half thousand dollars away from their goal. So thank you guys all of you that are listening, that if you donated or shared it, just thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the Schneider family really appreciate it, as well as the Connor Henstrom family. And again, rest in peace to Theodore Henstrom, who was tragically taken away from us at the age of 14 in a house fire last week. Our thoughts and prayers, as always, are with the Schneider and Connor and Henstrom family during this very difficult time. And the other thing I wanted to share really quick was an update from practice today on March 3rd. Number one, guys, stop asking Amanda Stein what's the situation with Nico. If she doesn't know, then that's it. You're not getting anything else. If you keep asking her, she's just going to keep telling you the same thing. We don't know, okay? 
Lindy Ruff has had good conversations with Nico, but that's about it. We don't know what the situation is. We don't. So stop asking. Just wait till we get some form of notice. Stop asking because the more you do, the more annoying you become. I understand it. You're worried about Nico. I'm worried about Nico. But you're not going to get your way if you just keep nagging people and asking them over and over again and getting the same result because that's all we have. So Nico is still out. He's still day-to-day. Let's see what happens over the next couple of days. Lindy Ruff said that they'll probably get a definitive answer over the next three or four days. So let's see what happens. Probably by the next podcast episode, we'll have some more clarity on him. But the other thing that caught my attention was the lines that Lindy Ruff had at practice today. And Amanda Stein obviously shared them. On the first line, it was Miles Wood, Pavel Zaka, and Kyle Palmieri. And unfortunately for Pavel Zaka, he was not able to, to continue his point streak as it will stop at 10 games. And with that point streak, he ends up finishing at number five with the fifth longest point streak in Devils history. He's tied with a bunch of other players. The longest one at the moment is still Taylor Hall from 17-18 when it was 19 games. So Zaka's streak ends, and I believe it's also the third longest point streak of any player in the National Hockey League. So it's obviously frustrating that Pavel Zaka wasn't able to continue his point streak, but hopefully he could start a new one going into the next game. But again, let's go back to the lines. Sharon Govich, Hughes, and Yanni Kuokinen, who has been on the practice squad or the taxi squad for the last handful of games on the second line. Janssen, Zajac, and Nate Bastion on the third line. And Mikhail Maltsev, Michael McLeod, and Jesper Bratt, and Nikita Gusev. And then you have Smith, Severson, Kulikov, Subban, Butcher, Vodnin, Tennyson, Josh Jacobs, Carrick, and Ryan Murray with Blackwood, Dell, and Wedgwood as the goaltenders. Couple things. One, I know Brett has struggled since he kind of got back and he's, well, he's been with the team and he only has one goal. It's kind of scary to think that you're considering putting him on the fourth line. With Gusev, I get it a lot more. I think we're getting to that point where I think the Devils are going to start thinking about maybe moving him because he is a free agent at the end of the year, and he just has been a massive disappointment this entire season. And then with with Ryan Murray, I mean, he's just been a healthy scratch, and it's kind of like, well, some of these other guys, P.K. Subban in particular, have not been performing that well. So why is Ryan Murray the one getting the, the negative situation and being benched. I mean, he hasn't been playing that badly and I know he was hurt a little bit, but he hasn't been playing that badly, but coach Lindy Ruff doesn't like the way he's been playing and we'll see if he gets an opportunity tomorrow on Thursday or, you know, in the next couple of games, we'll see. We'll see. He isn't free agent at the end of the year. So the devils could very well decide at the end of the year that he's not worth keeping around. And that's the end of that. But, you know, There was a lot of movement in the lines, as as you guys clearly heard and probably saw as well. And we'll see how many different moves uh, Lindy Ruff decides to make against the Rangers, a team the Devils have had success with already 2-0 against. And hopefully they can make it 3-0 and get off this three-game losing streak and just try to get something going here in just the second game of the season with fans. And you know it's going to be crazy, even with 1,800 fans. It's going to be crazy with a lot of red and blue and just, you know, both Devils and Rangers fans being there. And Let's just hope that they can start to turn around because I'm afraid we're going back to the same type of hockey we've seen for the last four or five years. And it let's, let's just try to be positive. What's going on devils fans. It's your host, Neil Villapiano. 
Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts. So just like with Devil's State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network, and you can see all of the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil's State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil State, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, Nah, No Ecstasy of Being a Jets Fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know, anything we could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know someone of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S 
of New York Town. So once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day. You know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!